name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. Today is the first Sunday of the blessed month of Kiak. As you know, in our church, when we celebrate the Feast of the Nativity on the 29th of Kiak, we have the four Sundays uh, preceding the feast, which uh, are unique in the calendar of the church. And uh, this is the first of the four weeks preceding the, the Feast of the Nativity on the 29th of Kiak. And all four Sundays, we take from the first chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. To today's Gospel is about the Annunciation of the birth of St. John the Baptist. Next week, the second Sunday, is about the Annunciation of the birth of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. The third Sunday is the visit of the Mother of God, St. Mary, to St. Elizabeth. And the fourth Sunday is the praise of Zacharias. And uh, so this Sunday we are uh, reflecting together on the Annunciation of the birth of St. John the Baptist. The Archangel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias in the temple, and he brought to him the good news, the glad tidings of the birth of a son that they had long been waiting for and perhaps had lost hope that God would give them. And when we think about the importance of the naming of the child that was to be born uh, from St. John's parents. Uh, well, first of all, the word annunciation itself, the word annunciation means a good message or a good announcement. The, the archangel Gabriel to, to, came to bring a good message, a good announcement. And the archangel said that you shall name him John. And also Elizabeth, when the time came and Zacharias was still mute, um, when they thought that they would name the child Zacharias, because in, the, in those days it was the custom that the firstborn son would be named after his father, uh, Elizabeth interrupted and said, no, his name shall be John. And they were all mar marveling and astonished because of this break with the tradition, with the custom. Now, why is it important? Because, of course, in the Bible, names are very, very important. Uh, the names of the, uh, the prophets, the names of God, of course, the names of uh, the disciples, they all have significance. And why would the Lord uh, declare a different name than what would have been the custom? Because it's part of the message for the, for the incarnation. So the name John comes from, uh, from two words. It's yo kanan, yo kanan where we get, like in Arabic, Yohanna, um, or Yohannin uh, in Greek or Coptic. Um, and Yohanan, the, Yo, the first part is for Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God in the Old Testament that was given to Moses, the one who is, the existing one. And Kanan is a very beautiful word in the Old Testament. Kanan means uh, graciousness mercy, compassion, pity, love. It, it contains all of these meanings. meanings. So the name Yohanna, Yohanan, means God is gracious. God is merciful. God is generous in his gracious mercy. Uh, God is abundant in graciousness. He is dripping with graciousness. And so the, the message with the birth of St. John the Baptist is that the world is now going to experience the graciousness of God. 
the world is now going to experience the mercy of God. And so the message becomes apparent beginning with the Annunciation of the birth of St. John the Baptist. Now, of course, God was gracious to Elizabeth and Zacharias, and God had mercy on Zacharias and Elizabeth, and God did a miracle. And all of these represent a certain type. That is, what God did with the birth of this, of, of this child for this woman who was barren for all of these years is what God will do to the world, is what God will provide to the world. He will provide that mercy, that graciousness, that wonder. He will do that which is impossible. He will turn sorrow into joy. He will return us back to the joy of our sonship and, and daughtership to God. So when we look at that word kanan in the Old Testament, especially, for example, in the Psalms, you see sometimes the translators, they use the word gracious or sometimes they use the word mercy because it, it contains both. For example, in Psalm 25, the psalmist says, turn yourself to me and have mercy, kanan, have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. Again, in Psalm 86, be merciful unto me, kanan, for I cry unto you daily, O Lord. And Isaiah chapter 33, 33 he says, O Lord, be gracious, Kanan, be gracious. Show your favor, your abundant favor upon us. We have waited for you. So sometimes it's translated gracious, sometimes translated mercy, sometimes it's translated compassion. For example, in Psalm 103, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion Kanan, on those who fear him. So we begin this season of nativity, we begin the season of the month of Kiak with the message, the good announcement of the gracious mercy, compassion, kindness of God, which is entering into the world through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, it is, in fact, in the face of Christ that we experience the kanan of God, the, the graciousness of God. And we can say then that this graciousness of God, this mercy of God, this compassion of God, this kindness of God, becomes the greatest attribute that we experience. Not because God is, has different like, uh, parts to him, where he has his merciful part, he has his justice part, he has his um, kind part, he has his pitiful part. Um, God is a simple being, and all of the attributes refer to his simple essence. But how do we experience God? We experience him sometimes as just, sometimes as merciful, compassionate, and so on. And we can say then that the greatest attribute of God is this graciousness, this mercy, because it is the one that had the greatest effect on the world. Greater than his creative uh, ability to, to create us out of nothing, even greater than this is his redemptive work, his merciful work on the cross, uh, his love for sinners. It is in this that we experience the greatest attribute of God. Now, we could say then that what God has revealed in this season is that 
the greater the misery, the greater the misery in the world, the greater God shows his kanan, his graciousness. The greater the sinner, the more right the sinner has to God's graciousness. So you see that the, the graciousness, the mercy of God grows or manifests itself in more abundance, the more the world or the human person exists in misery. It's not the opposite. It's not the more righteous one is, the more one experiences the graciousness of God. No. The more the misery, the more the righteousness, the grace, the graciousness of God is manifest, and the more right we have to that kindness of God. That's why Jesus said, I say to you likewise that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. God's graciousness manifests itself in more abundance over the one sinner than over the 99 righteous. So, but what does it mean for us in this season? Like, what, what does Christmas nativity mean to us? If we have not been converted by the graciousness of God, if the kindness of God has not converted us to be like Him, to be merciful like Him, to be gracious like Him, to be compassionate like Him, to, be, to carry that virtue or that, that quality of that kanan, then what does it mean to us? It means we simply recognize it as a historical event. It means for us it's just a festival. It's just a day that comes and passes. But the whole experience of the mercy and the graciousness of God which is revealed to us today is that it changes us. We could say that this mercy, this graciousness of God should change us at two levels, at the psychological level and at the moral level. What I mean by that is this, that at the psychological level, that our hearts become so sensitive, so tender, that our emotions, our, our very being is shaken by the, and distressed by the evil and the misery in the world. That is, at the psychological level, at the emotional level, at the, at the, at the level of, of my inward parts, that I experience the pain of the misery of the world. And at the moral level, that it calls me into action. That is, the moral responsibility I feel to help to remedy the pain of my neighbor or uh, the misery of the world. That's why our Lord said, Blessed what are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to read to you a, a beautiful prayer that was written in the diary of the Polish nun Faustina. And I want to just take one part of it to meditate some more uh, this morning with you on. She wrote this as a prayer in her diary. And I think that this prayer summarizes the whole concept of how we are transformed by God's graciousness, his mercy. That is, what does that do to me when I experience it in my own life? She said, O oh Lord, I want to be completely transformed into your mercy and to be your living reflection. May the greatest of all divine attributes, that of your unfathomable mercy, pass through my heart and soul to my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my eyes may be merciful, so that I may never suspect or judge from appearances, but look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's soul 
and come to the rescue. Help me, O Lord, that my ears may be merciful, so that I may give heed to my neighbor's needs and not be indifferent to their pains and moanings. Help me, O Lord, that my tongue may be merciful, so that I should never speak negatively of my neighbor, but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all. Help me, O Lord, that my hands may be merciful and filled with good deeds, so that I may only do good to my neighbor and take upon myself the more difficult and toilsome tasks. Help me, O Lord, that my feet may be merciful, so that I may hurry to assist my neighbor, overcoming my own fatigue and my weariness. Help me, O Lord, that my heart may be merciful, so that I myself may feel all the sufferings of my neighbor. May your mercy, O Lord, rest upon me. A very beautiful prayer that summarizes the gospel. How it is that we express mercy and compassion and graciousness with our eyes, with our ears, with our tongue, with our hands, with our feet, and with our hearts. And you see that all of these activities that she describes so beautifully, the things we do and the things that we don't do, are both merciful acts, merciful attitudes. So I want just to take, I wish we could go through the whole prayer, and maybe that would be another time we can have a, a separate talk and go through every one of those qualities, the merciful eyes, the merciful ears, the merciful hands and feet, tongue and heart. But I know that you will probably not be pleased if I try to meditate on all. So I just want to take one of them, one that may seem a little bit unusual for us, which is the merciful ears. We might not think that we, we practice mercy with our ears, but I want to take what uh, this nun, Faustina, said about merciful ears and meditate with it a little bit more. She spoke about the ears, not as the physical ears, but as the ears of the heart. We have, of course, been endowed with physical ears. We, we hear lots of things. We hear lots of conversations. But there's a difference between hearing and listening. And there is, in a sense, what Faustina is saying and what many of the saints have said, there is a correlation between how we listen to God and how we listen to one another. In other words, if I, can't, if I only hear God but I don't listen to him, then I will only hear my neighbor and I will not listen to them. And there's a big difference between hearing and listening. There was a very interesting dialogue that happened with the the CBS anchor Dan Rather, those of us in my generation and before know, of course, Dan Rather, CBS News. Uh, he was once interviewing Mother Teresa, and he, um, he asked her what she said during her prayers. And she said, she answered him, she said, I listen. So Dan Rather asked her again, well, then what does God say? What does God say? And Mother Teresa smiled with confidence and answered him, and she, she said, he listens. And Dan rather didn't, he seemed perplexed, he didn't know what to say. So Mother Teresa added, she says, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. If you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. So we begin to understand what it means to listen when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, he came and he listened. He heard in his heart, in his merciful heart, 
the cries of his people. We could say that we usually speak of Jesus as the great teacher. But before he is the great teacher, he is the great listener. Before he taught, he listened. Because what he taught came from that merciful heart that heard in the depths of God's heart the needs of his people. So Jesus' ears were always disposed to man. He heard the cries of the miserable and the depths of their heart without their expressing it even in words. He heard the unhappiness of the people. He heard the cries of the sinful who were mired in their sinful ways. He heard the moaning of the lepers and the paralyzed, the blind and the demon-possessed. He heard the silent cries of the deaf and the mute and those who mourned as they buried their dead. And he even heard the cry of the thief on the cross. He heard it not with the words, but he heard it by penetrating his heart. He recognized those who were hungry and weary in body and spirit. And so, by looking at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we begin to have an understanding, a glimpse of how I listen to my neighbor, how I listen to my neighbor. Jesus, we say, is the sacrament of the Father. That is, that the face of Jesus Christ, the, the, the body of Jesus Christ, the humanity of Jesus Christ became the sign of the presence of God among his people. But Jesus also said to his disciples at the end of his mission, he said, as the Father sent me, what, so I send you. In other words, as I was sent to be the sacrament of the Father, the presence of the Father, the mystery of the Father, so I send you to be the sacrament of me, to be the presence of me in the world. So it means we have to have the ears of Jesus. We have to have the listening of Jesus. There's a, a story, again, related to Mother Teresa, one of, but not Mother Teresa herself, but one of the sisters. Uh, you know, her order was called the Sisters of Charity, and they're all over the world, and they, they serve the most miserable of conditions of humanity. And one of the sisters... Uh, in, was serving in uh, Brazil. She was serving uh, in a, like a soup kitchen and uh, serving men who were drug addicts. And about 250 men daily that came that were drug addicts and they were served by these sisters. And they were very rough. They were unclean. They were rough. They were aggressive. Many times they broke out into fights in the middle of the sisters' presence. And one day, one of these men, one of these drug addicts, he asked if he could speak privately with the sister that was serving them. And the sister said that he looked wasted, dissolute, a man clearly who was addicted to drugs. So she thought, he's probably going to ask me for some extra food to take with me or for some money. But he took her outside of the building into the courtyard and he spoke to her and he said, Sister, you will find it hard to believe what I'm going to tell you. But I want you to pray for me because I am a priest. Of course, she was very surprised. He told her, I was working with these drug addicts. I was ministering to them. I was serving them. And out of curiosity, I thought to myself, maybe I should try something so I know what they go through. But when I did, I found myself captive to the drugs. 
and I consumed more. And now I'm here among all of these other people. Of course, he was asking her for prayers, but the sister was so affected. But the comment, what the sister experienced in this was she said, the existence of this person who was a priest and was hidden, hidden behind his drug addiction and his homelessness and his aggressiveness and all of these things that he shared with all these other people, became for her a symbol of the hiddenness of Christ in each one of us. That is, if, if I look at this person and I see just a drug addict, but behind him is the holy priesthood, the priesthood, the high priesthood of Christ, then how much more are our eyes and our ears blind and deaf to the reality of Jesus and our neighbor and every single person? So she understood this idea that every one of us is a sacrament of Christ, but in every person that we serve, we find Christ. He is hidden in the sinner. He is hidden in the drug addict. He is hidden in the poor. And that's what Mother Teresa recognized in her ministry. So how do we listen? How do we listen like Christ listened? It is an, it is an attentive, a loving, attentive presence a loving, attentive presence to one another. We become close to the person, we listen to them, we open our hearts to them, we let them be vulnerable and open their hearts to us, and we listen to them without judging them. I remember one time towards the end of Tan Samira's life that I was visiting her on one of my normal visits. We were enjoying coffee together. And then all of a sudden, she started to open up about many wounds in her life. And for about two, three hours, she spoke and she cried. She spoke and she cried. And I kept thinking, what do I say? I was surprised because at first I even, perhaps I even judged her because I said, this woman who has such consolation from heaven, this woman who sees the saints, this woman who sees angels in the liturgy, this woman who is visited daily by heavenly consolation, why is she remembering these things in her past? Why is she crying over these human things? I didn't understand. I tried to just be present and listen. I had nothing to say. I had nothing really to offer except a few cheap words. But I realized that day that everybody needs to be listened to. Everybody wants to bring out from the treasure of their heart their joys and their pains. And they want to do it in a way that makes them very vulnerable. And they need something in front of them that is pure love to receive it, to accept it, to embrace it. It doesn't matter if you're a saint. It doesn't matter if you're a sinner. We all have that need. And God has chosen us as his representatives, as his sacraments in the world, to be that presence to others. So it means not being indifferent, not being indifferent to one another, and not pretending like we have answers to everything, not waiting to hear somebody speak, and in our mind we're just waiting for them, as one person said, we're waiting for them to end because it's just an introduction to what I'm going to say. Sometimes we're just listening to somebody 
as if it's just an introduction to what I'm preparing to say, because what I have to say is very important. My response is so important, more important than what the person is saying. I have to correct them. I have to, I have to give them something that is more valuable than what they're saying. And th in this, there's the ego, the self-love. So listening means humility, it means poverty. It means that we have to be poor in spirit in front of the person that we're listening to so that the thought doesn't come to us that I have something to offer that I'm just waiting for this person to end so that I can say my two cents. But that I am privileged to accompany this person in the outpouring of their heart. It is at a sort of accompaniment joining the person in this journey. And so even our smiles are one time Somebody was visiting Mother Teresa, and she was uh, on her hands and knees uh, cleaning somebody who was near death with sores and just very difficult scene. And the, and the person who had come to, uh, to volunteer was full of sadness. Of course, each one, any one of us seeing that kind of misery, our natural reaction is sadness. And Mother Teresa turned to the person and says, don't show them your sadness. Show them your joy. You, did, you, didn't, they didn't, you, know, you didn't come here to bring more sadness. You came to bring joy to this person so that this person dies with joy, with the experience of joy. So even that experience of being that loving and joyful presence to somebody, even despite what I'm struggling with on the inside, is so important. And then listening leads to forgiveness. Listening leads to forgiveness. If you want to know how we can forgive one another, we need to listen to them. Here's a beautiful quote by uh, an author who wrote, Each of us is a mystery. We are different from each other in so many ways. We can only truly accept others if we try to understand them first. If we can learn how to listen to each other in order to find understanding, the problems related to forgiveness would decrease. Now, this is the very important part of the quote. God understands us fully, therefore, he forgives us unceasingly. Because God understands me, he forgives me. And if we understood one another, it would be much easier to forgive. But usually we don't forgive because we don't want to understand the other. We want to just understand our own feelings and emotions. And then I'll end with another story of Mother Teresa but this time of another priest who was serving with her. And this is kind of a parable for us of, again, the difference between hearing and listening. This priest was with Mother Teresa and the sisters, and he was praying the liturgy with them. And then after the liturgy, he, was, uh, he went to the back of the chapel to say some of his private prayers of thanksgiving. And everybody had left the church, all the sisters and all the other uh, servant, servers of the, of the liturgy left the church. And he noticed he, what he called a tramp, a homeless man sitting on the other side of the altar. So he was by himself and he could see this homeless man whom he described as a tramp. And he said he had open wounds on his legs. And he was uh, repulsed by this image. And he said, I got the impression that he was slightly tipsy. Most likely he was probably drunk or on drugs. And he says, I did not feel very comfortable about the situation. And I hoped that he would leave very soon. So I said, he said, I said my prayers, though not very attentively. 
behind the altar. And he said, suddenly this tramp, this homeless man, began speaking out loud. And at first he said, the priest said I was scared because I thought maybe he was going to turn his aggression on me. I thought he was talking to me, but as I listened, as I listened with attention, he says, I realized with an increasingly guilty conscience that he was praying. And here, how, here is how he was praying. Yeah, Jesus, I'm here. Never would have thought, huh? Don't know if it ruined your day or not, man, but I really, really like it here. That's how he prayed. Yeah, Jesus, I'm here. Never would have thought, huh? Don't know if I ruined your day or not, but I really, really like it here. And the priest said he spoke with Jesus like this for five minutes, very personally, and he said, I thought very beautifully. It was perhaps the most natural and heartfelt prayer I have ever heard. He clearly had not seen me behind the altar. He thought he was all alone with his Jesus, and he could speak with him undisturbedly. This man changed my attitude in my life. The difference between hearing leads to judgment, leads to cold-heartedness, leads to a lack of love, and listening, which leads to love and conversion of heart. God is telling us in this season of Advent that he has listened to us. He has heard the cries of our hearts, and he has come to remedy them. And he's asking us to be his ears in the world, to listen to one another and to listen to the cries of his people. And may we glorify him now at all times and unto the ages of ages. Amen.